Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. This week on the show, I've invited on a guy who I've wanted to speak to for such a long time. And actually, when I was initially raising money um, for my business, Stakester, I met with him and he was really helpful and he gave me some really great advice. The reason he's so great is because, well, I believe that if you're going to teach someone something and you're going to help coach someone through a journey, it really helps. It's not absolutely necessary, but it helps if you've been through it yourself. If you understand the pain of staying up late and trying to figure out how you're going to make payroll, that empathy is going to make you, I think, a better coach in many situations. Not always the case, but a lot of time it does. And the guy I've got on today, Eamon Carey, has absolutely been through that. He was an incredibly successful entrepreneur and now he's the MD at Techstars, where he coaches an unbelievable amount of companies to be more successful. Um, on the episode, he explains what Techstars is and how it works. But what he also does in the episode, which I really like, is he talks about what is it that makes a good founder? What are the things you should be focusing on? What are the biggest mistakes that he sees founders make? Not only that, he also talks about what are great reasons to get funding, but what are also awful reasons to get funding and how should you go about that? Absolutely well worth a listen. Eamon, thanks so much for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. Um, so look, as you know, here on the pod, we have a really core philosophy. And that is that if you have a passion for something and you're not happy with your life or what you're doing, you should control your own destiny. Say so you should raise stakes and you should try and turn that passion into something that can give you the life that you want. Mm. Um, and what we do here is we meet with people who have been through that process themselves, um, which I know you have, and I'm looking forward to hearing about that. And also to try and help people who have been through the same problems, because there is a... My, personally, I'm going through it. I've been through it. There's a vulnerability. There is a, there's a, it's, there's a, it's hard. <laughs> and yeah. trying to understand what the advice is and how people can help them from people like yourself is really valuable. So that's what we're going to talk about. But before we jump into that, imagine we're on a first date. Tell me who you are <laughs> and what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, Eamon Carey. I'm the managing director at Techstars here in London. Uh, so Techstars is the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. So we invest in companies all over the world. We put them through three-month accelerator programs, connect them with lots of amazing mentors, advisors, investors, and other people, and basically help them grow and scale and continue to support them throughout their, their life cycle. So we've done that now for close to 2,000 companies uh, wow. around the world. Um, uh, I've been uh, an angel investor myself for a couple of years before starting uh, with Techstars. So I'm running the London program now. Previously ran one of our programs in, in New York. And so, yeah, I'm like a startup enthusiast. I mean, look, I just really, I'm very lucky. I, I get to... You just love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I love technology. And it's know. exciting, right? Because, I mean, the great thing about being an angel investor is you always know what's happening next, right? You're just ahead of it. Well, well. <laughs> in, in theory, it means, look, it, 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 it means I buy a lot of books to make myself sound, you know, you meet someone and they kind of go, oh, we're, you know, working on autonomous drones and you go, oh, amazing. Yeah. Tell me about all of these things. And as they talk about it, you're going, like, I'm I, now, I need to this learn. is like, I now need to go and buy a whole bunch of stuff off uh, Amazon or go to Waterstones, buy as many yeah. things as possible so that when I go and have the next meeting with them, I'll be like, I was reading this article the other day that said X, you know, so you're kind of, uh, I like that. you know, leeching other people's expertise. That's really interesting. I, I think, um, I say it a lot. I think that being an investor, particularly angel, mm. is possibly one of the hardest jobs in the world because you have to do two things. You not only have to be an exceptionally good judge of talent, mm -hmm. but you also have to t try and see the future about where something's going to go. Mm. So do, what do you do? Do you, I mean, great question. 
what do you look for? How do you possibly figure out from the, you said two and a half thousand people coming to Techstars, and that's not even people that you're investing in. You invested in other people on the side, I know. So how do you even, how do you even begin to figure out if it's a good bet? Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a couple of different things, I suppose. You know, one of them is... I don't want to give away your secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wish there, I wish there was some formula that I could plug things into. But I think a lot of people pretend there is. I think for, for me, the... Um, the reality is, like, you look for a couple of different things, right? I think I am really interested in people who are interested in things, right? And so I look for people who have a strong sense of intellectual curiosity, people who are kind of really passionate about what they do um, and why they're doing it and, and, you know, where you can see a real founder market fit. Like, you know, the, the first company I started was because it was something that I was really passionate about. As I looked at it, I saw there was a massive gap in the market. And I kind of thought that combined with, you know, the understanding that I had, I was like, I can build something in this. Is it going to be a billion dollar company? I mean, I wasn't thinking like that at the time. I was like, here's a gap. I can do this. I'm really pissed off that other people are not doing it. And I have a bunch of people I know who might give me some money to do it. Like maybe I should figure out a structured way to do that. And so I love seeing people who have that really strong kind of fender market fit, that real passion for what they're doing people when you go and meet them and you have that initial coffee you can like you feel the energy fizzing off them and you kind of sit there going holy shit like i want to be part of this journey i see what you what you see or i see the way that you see the problem i understand the way that you're thinking about tackling it i see the way that you want to go about it yeah. um and so so much of it like i would say probably Honestly, like at this stage, mostly what I do is kind of precede like very early stage, you know, the, the, the first year, year and a half of a company's life. 80% of it is is the people, um, you know, because you're in a lot of cases, you know, you're investing in people where the product only kind of exists or it's very much a beta version of it or it's very much a version 0.01 of what v1.0 will be yeah. in a year's time and so a lot of what you're doing is going is this a good person right do they have the right amount of passion to actually follow through on this do they have people in the business with them that can help them execute you know so the, do they have a thinker and a doer or someone who can pitch and someone who can build you know and do they have the right mix of skill sets do they have the right resilience because this is a you know starting a company and going down this path of being a, a founder right is both the best thing that a lot of people will ever do but also the worst thing that a lot of people will do it is the smartest thing that a lot of people will do it's also the fucking dumbest thing that most people will ever do right because there are so many things that can go right and wrong and and you know the reality is not every business works out and you have to be kind of resilient and able to 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 deal with that and i think you have to have you know i think one of the reasons i do the job that i do and that i i have maybe the rapport that i hope i have with founders is because i have been that person like i could probably draw you a map of the wallpaper in my old bedroom from when i was running my first company because you would be awake at three o'clock in the morning looking at it going Am I going to make payroll? Like, is yeah. there going to be a Christmas for the, you know, the people on the team this time around? Or so have, tell, have we signed a contract? About, yeah, tell me about it. So the, what, what was that first first company? And that's quite unique. I think there's a lot of, just on that, I think there's a lot of people that call themselves, there's a lot of investors now who call themselves founders, mm. previous founders in inverted commas. What they mean is they were employee number 15 at a company within the first yep. year. Really valuable experience. It's not the same as being the one who says, I'm going to go and do yep. this. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to back myself to make this happen. But you did that, which I think is really unique and fascinating. So what what was that first 
What was that first company? Yeah, so so basically, a, a really <laughs> depressingly long time ago now, probably 15 years ago, um, I was a journalist. So I studied journalism in college, wrote for a bunch of newspapers and magazines. What were you writing on? Uh, everything. And it, I mean, back then, so, so my view was always... Uh, and this stretched into the business, was that like you just took every opportunity that opened itself up for you and either you did well at it or you did badly, right? And if you did badly, then you probably just didn't do that again. And so I was I really- I love that. What, a be what better way is there to learn about yourself? Well, I mean, you're kind of A-B testing it, right? And so yeah. I kind of went, okay, I'll write, you know, do people, you know, what I wanted to write about was video games, entertainment, and, you know, international politics. And you were all of these a gamer. Things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Like, you know, and have been since I was since I was very, very small, which is kind of where the genesis of the business really, really came from. And so was doing a little bit of everything for anyone that would have me, including kind of websites and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And doing okay at it. So I got a job at the uh, Irish equivalent of the BBC called RTE, which is the big state broadcaster. I had a pretty decent gig it's there. I had gig. like a, nice. you know, rate like I would read in whatever sports news on the radio and do music programs and stuff like this. So it's like you, you know, people could hear my voice. You know, hundreds of thousands of people listen to it every day. It was a very safe, steady, permanent contract, civil service job. Like I couldn't be fired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is not a bad. Like in in many respects, actually. Just for anyone who's listening. But RT, they can be fired. There's three reasons that you can be fired. What are those three uh, you reasons? can take drugs live on the air. I'm not sure if you take drugs when it's pre-recorded. It, does, does, does it depend on the class of drug? I don't know. I, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know actually. I suppose. Any kind of drug. I mean, if the chief legal officer of RT is watching, I'm kind of curious actually. Um, you were not allowed to have sex in the studios, as far as I remember, and there was oh. uh, you couldn't climb. They have a huge radio tower outside the broadcasting house, uh, broadcasting center in, in in Montrose in Ireland, uh, and you weren't allowed to climb that. Which and to be fair, is quite illogical. For all three, yeah, yeah, basically the, was, the same was, evening, the same just, event. You re, you know, if you're going to go out, you know, you <laughs> might as well. Um, but I was, I was working for them. It was a, you know, effectively a, a, a job for life, which was the dream for 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 a whole bunch of different people. Um, but. I was also kind of, you know, that was very traditional media. Um, and at the same time, I was kind of like, a, I guess, a child of the internet. Like, so so my dad bought me my first computer when I was quite small, a Sinclair Spectrum 40AK. And he, he kind of used... classic. I mean, a gem, right? An absolute gem. With, he, the, with the rainbow stripe in the corner. Yeah, and the yeah. rubber keys, the rubber right? Keys. And, and you could what? buy the magazine and it would have, like, literally, the, the you know, the code for games in the middle pages of the magazine. And I would sit there as a, whatever, eight or nine-year-old and, like, type that out and execute it and alter it and change the colors and go, oh, this is interesting. And so learned the programming language basic and noodled around with computers through... Commodores and Amstrads and Ataris and Amigas. I mean, it used and to be PCs. on a cassette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Halcyon days. I love you know, the. I mean, it took longer to actually load the game from the cassette than to actually play <laughs> yeah, it, right? It's you know, taught me the value of patience, if nothing else. But yeah. so, did it, like, was always noodling around with computers, and we had a. Um, ISDN, like we had a 14.4 KB or 9600. ISDN back in the yeah, day, back you in were the, a pimp. Right, we People, were living the, living the, living living the, living the, the large as it was. Um, yeah. And so like used to faff around on IRC and all of these kind of different things. So I was basically lived, like went to school in the morning and it was really funny. I, I got my mum found all my school report cards this week um, and they were not flattering uh, because mostly I was like, I'm not really interested in what's happening at school. Like I, I read I read a lot of books and still, still do. Um, so I'd read a huge amount um, and was kind of conceptually interested in some of this stuff, but you know, so a lot of what we were doing in school just seemed very boring and not very 
practical. Um, like well, I didn't relevant. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, it was like you know, now, it's yeah. nice to know what an oxbow lake is. I'm not sure that I necessarily need to spend well, like months and months and months on, on it. You know, and and <laughs> it's it's you know that that wasn't uh, what I was going to end up doing. Uh, well, maybe who knows? But um, anyway, long story short, the internet taught me a whole bunch of things, including you know HTML and CSS and JavaScript and all of these different things. So I build websites for people and you know do all sorts of little bits on online. And as I was working in these kind of traditional media organizations, I was saying you know you should be doing more stuff online. And this is kind of post-99, right? This is post the first internet crash. So it's not like the internet was this kind of new, yeah. you know, amorphous thing. Like people knew it was there. They were yeah. just going, well, because it didn't work the first time, it's now not going to work again. And so I was saying, hey, we should be putting stuff like podcasting or we should be, you know, putting videos on, on the internet. Um, and everyone was kind of going, no, 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 like that's never going to take off. No one really cares about that. Like, you know, everyone has is buying HD TVs or big screen TVs. That's the, the way forward. And then in 2004, I went out to Korea to visit two friends of mine who'd gone out there to teach English after we'd finished college. And um, I was sitting on a train uh, and a guy came down and he sat next to me. And back then I had like a Nokia 3310 or something. You kind of the like old, bricks, the best phone yeah, of all time. you know, play snake, all this kind yeah. of stuff. And it would take you two hours to type a text message Correct. because it wasn't, in fact, pre-predictive text, right? So it was quite like Morse code. Um, anyway, this guy sits down next to me and he takes out what looked like a kind of Onyx block. Uh, and he started watching Spider-Man on it. And I was looking at it going, uh, what? <laughs> like, 2004? Yeah, right? Wow. I was like, holy shit, like, this is incredible. <laughs> what is that? And then he gets off the train, and then he made a call on it. And I was like, what What, what just happened here? Like, this is exciting. You were like uh, a guy who traveled in time, who you like gone forward from the medieval period. Incredible. So, like, yeah. I'm amazed I didn't die, right, of, of just sheer joy and excitement. <laughs> so I came back, and, and there were a whole bunch of other things that happened on this trip, but I came back going... This, what this guy just did is how everyone is going to consume media in the future, right? Like, it is going to be a default mode of, of, of communication, media, all of this kind of stuff. So I went back and I talked to a couple of people at my organization. They were like, eh, you know, I'm not sure. And then I had a bunch of friends who were working for big, like, ad agencies and PR agencies and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, oh, this internet thing, kind of interesting again, like audience numbers going up, broadband penetration increasing, but no one has any way for us to put any spend against it and so in the 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 kind of um i suppose style of saying yes to things i was like hmm i have a bunch of people on this side who work for big companies with massive budgets who want to do shit on the internet i really like the internet right and i know how to do shit on it maybe what i should do is figure out a way to join those two things up where i can take the passion that i have for the internet and the passion that i have for content and accept other people's extremely large budgets yeah. uh, to allow me to do that and effectively go, I'm only going to make the stuff that I really care about and I can build a business that will hopefully allow me to hire people to do a whole bunch yeah. of, of the other things. And so I get to follow, you know, I get to follow the things that, that, that I really love. And, and so talk to a friend of mine and we started a company. Started and, a company, yeah, like that. Mm. I love that. I have this, this, um, this theory, you can tell me if it's absolutely bollocks or not, but I have a theory that every business starts with the sentence that starts with one of two phrases. Wouldn't it be cool if, or wouldn't it be better if? Yeah. And you seem to have created one that was, wouldn't it be cool if and better if? Yeah. So you had, you had the holy, the double there. And it was, you know, I we were watching some, I can't remember, Dara, who started the company with me, we were sitting watching a, a, a game in some bar in Dublin one night, and I think it was literally one of those conversations where yeah. I was like, this guy in Korea, and he was watching fucking Spider-Man on his phone, <laughs> on his, become? on a phone, yeah. like, you know, mine. And now you think... 
that's so dumb that you would, you know, that that's like the equivalent of, you know, someone doing cave paintings. But it's the same uh, thing all time, isn't it? It's like, you can imagine someone being like that when someone first said, I wish you could order a cab on your phone. And they're like... Yeah. And I remember hearing people talk about, you know, that kind of idea and going... Oh, I don't know. Is that like? Do, is, is that, that really? Is it going to help? You know, surely you just want to stand outside and put your arm put, up. Yeah, and then you do it for the first time, and it's like magic, um, and you see the the car approaching you, or you know, so all of these things. And I think that's where I got that appreciation from was you know the idea that you can, you know, will not necessarily will a business into existence. I think in our case, it was mostly just confidence of being in the right place at the right time, and and having. The right I think there's always that. I mean, I always think. I mean, I'm. I don't believe in that sort of. Um, I always think that people create their luck by making sure that they have enough ideas and they're working hard enough for their skill sets. So they, you know, when the time comes, you're ready. Do you know what I mean? Rather than they happen to be the right place at the right time. Like you have to have the skill set in the first place, you know? And I think, look, that's, that's been true for me across a whole bunch of things. Like that was true when I became an angel investor, right? I wasn't ready. You know, when I did that first business, we did really, really well for, you know, for, for quite a while hired people, worked with like massive, you know, Nike and Adidas and Diageo and, you know, all of these it's kind of like brand for your first massive, gig. massive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our first, our first client was three, right? The, 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 the first people that we worked with. Wow. Um, and the deal was, you know, it was close to a million quid was the first deal that we did. Like, and, and this is, you know, the, 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 and one of the reasons that I'm kind of so passionate about what I do with Techstars now is we, back then there was no, you know, in Ireland, there's still not a huge number of investors, but th there were no accelerators, investors, any of this kind of stuff. Like there, there, there was no medium. I couldn't, there was no core that I could go to, to, to read, you know, what to do. We just, I was really lucky that there were some good people that, that I had connections with and that Dara, my, my, my colleague had, had connections with that we were able to talk to, but like, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. And I, and I remember sending, sending an email going, the price for this is is going to be, you know, it was about 890 grand plus, you know, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh, plus fat, that's actually over a million quid, um, which was just an incomprehensible oh, that, amount that was of, of money. Four, five? Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's an insane amount of money. <laughs> or hubris, right? I don't know yeah. which, but, you know, and they said, I mean, after a bit of negotiations, admittedly, uh, they said yes, right? And we, we did the deal with them and we did deals with other big organizations and, yeah, it was it was just one of those things that, you know, I think now I look back in that and go, there were a whole bunch of people, you know, parents, friends, family, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I suppose what now we would consider mentors or advisors who helped an awful lot with, with that happening. But at the same time, like, I kind of look back at it and go, the absolute audacity that I had as, you know, whatever, 20, 26 or 25 year old me to go, yeah, that's a million quid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're sat, like our office was uh, Dara's, but he had a picnic uh, table bench in his back garden. And that was our office. Which um, knowing that you come from the windiest and wettest country in the world. <laughs> it was a it was a long September that year. That's all I could do. We were pretty glad, pretty glad of the good weather. But, you know, th th this is one of those things that, you know, now as I talk to founders, as I talk to, to people who are starting to come, like you, you're never going to, you know, unless you tell someone that something is going to cost this much money, you're never going to know if they say you're not gonna know. yes or no, right? And, and then you're gutted when they say yes because you should have asked for more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, I mean, I, the, the, I talked to someone a while ago who um, who sold their company. They said the worst conversation they've ever had was about two years later. Um, they talked to the person who had signed the check and the person said, you know, you could have asked us for twice oh, that much and we would have paid it. And I was like, you know, that's actually a really horrible thing to say to someone. Like that's, you know, and, I, yeah. and this person was like, look, they made some money, they did well, they're now kind of, you know, in a position where they don't necessarily have to work anymore. But then they were like, well, I could be in a position where I definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, I get that. Where like at least yeah. two other people I know don't ever have to work anymore or whatever. It's so interesting. It's, but, I, but that does hurt. In the current climate, marketing is hard. 
But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. There's three things you said there that I um, I found really interesting and I want to drill into a bit more. So what I'm taking from that is that kind of there was two, maybe there's sort of three core skill sets that you exhibited in that process. One was you had the confidence, you know, you had the audacity to say, do you know what, actually, I'm going to give this a go, okay, which I think is what we're all about here because... But the reason that you had that confidence is because unbeknownst to you, probably at the time, you'd spent an inordinate amount of time previously building both a support network and a network to go after. Yeah. And it feels to me, and then sort of the the third piece was you were an expert. Mm. You, know, you were an expert in yeah. that particular field. Like you'd, you, you knew, you knew what you were passionate about. You had done the research to understand if you were capable of doing it. Yep. And that's that's interesting. But the thing that really I'm finding really interesting there, and you've you've mentioned it a few times, is that that support network is such a something that I think that people really sort of um, forget about. You know, and they don't realize. Like, because what you've done is you've said that. So you've got if it doesn't work out you can go back to your job. That's your first yeah. support network. Like if it does, this doesn't work, the reality is if I don't do this, lose yep. a year, who's going to not employ me? No one. Like, yep. you know what I mean? It's fine. I'll just go back and get another job, right? Yep. Secondly, you've got like, but then you had the, you had the customers, you had mm. the people you could go after. And so that gave you that security as well. Yep. So that's, so would that be your advice to, I guess you probably, I don't know, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would it be just, just network the fuck out of things? Just make sure yeah. you meet. Like, I think, you know, the, the, the reality is you've got to, you know, without raising capital, deciding to start a business, you know, any of these different things, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs, right? And I think yeah. if you're going to, like, I definitely, and the, the thing as well is like, kind of whatever, 15 years ago, starting a business was a thing that basically really crazy people did back home. Like it was not a thing that you did as a, nowadays, like starting a company, lots of people do it. And it is, you know, it's it's by no means easier to, to do it, but it's certainly a little bit more normalized. Um, and so I think you have to have, you know, I mean, I remember telling my parents, I was like, hey, so this job for life that I have where I'm on the radio all the time, I've decided to quit that and I'm going to start a company doing stuff for the internet. You know, and then my parents were used to me coming up with all sorts of harebrained schemes. So, you know, thank you so much <laughs> to them for being so supportive. But I was, you know, I, I recognize the privilege that that's given me to even be able to have that that conversation. Yeah. So I think that that's one big thing. I think I definitely wouldn't have started the company if it, it had just been I really like the internet and I want to do something on it. If I didn't have the far side of that of my friends going, hey, you know. I'm working with Nike and Adidas and they're wondering how to do more. So I was like, all right, it feels like there is some money. You've, and you found a problem. Yeah. You don't identify the really And also at a certain point, we, we'd run the numbers enough that I knew that even if we just did a bunch of kind of really simple things for some of the people that I knew, there was enough money to pay me that would allow me to pay my rent for at least a year. So we, you know, we didn't kind of have external capital or any of that kind of stuff. It was like, I was quitting my job, I was putting my savings into doing the company, and then effectively we, on day one, 
kind of had to start generating revenue to sustain ourselves because we had like these net 120 and net 180 payment terms and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, from from very early on, we had to generate revenue to, to keep the lights on because there was, you know, there wasn't going to be any external investment or certainly we never believed that there would be. So if I didn't think that there were people on the other side of that equation, I wouldn't have started the company. And I think that's true for the companies that I look at now to go, you know, if I meet someone and they go, hey, I've decided to do, you know, water in a can, great. All right. How many people have you spoken to that want water in a can? None. All right. Why do you want to do it? It's like, well, I read an article about water and people really like drinking it. And, you know, sustainability is interesting. So I decided to put something in an aluminium can. It's like, is that a business that you're going to invest in? You know, maybe yeah. not. Whereas Are you saying that we shouldn't be getting the water in a can? I think water, well, I mean, I presume <laughs> they've done some market analysis other than, I you know, so. I mean, it's the only place I've ever seen is in this studio. And what, well, I mean, I'm trying to say have, um, they've water in a box uh, that I've seen somewhere else. And there is... Uh, a company in in California called Liquid Death that is water in a can with a nice label on it. So you know there's there's obviously we'll, we'll see how it works out. Yeah, I mean I guess we literally die without drinking water. So that you know the delivery <laughs> mechanism is is try, is, you're a, to, is you're, the variable. You're trying to sell the idea for them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? So you, know, you always um, be closing. But I think it's it's yeah. one of those things of of having understanding that there is a demand for what you're building because the worst mistake that I've seen people make is going. I'm going to build a white elephant because I believe that there are people who are going to buy it on the far side. And I'm not willing to ask if there's anyone out there or if there's a market for it because I'm nervous that if I say my idea out loud, someone will steal it from me. I, I love that. And I know, I've heard you write about that before. It's just that there is people just smoke hopium and they're like, I've just I've got this most amazing idea. And the reality is if you have a good idea, a hundred other people are having the idea at the same time. It's yeah. just, have you got the capacity to execute it better than they have? Yeah. Don't be so afraid all the time about it. Something you mentioned there, and I, I know this is something you're big on, and I'm 100% on the same page, is we seem to have fallen into this weird <laughs> glamorization, specifically in the UK. And maybe I think it's driven a little bit by the US, and particularly by things like TechCrunch and Crunchbase the people feel like if I haven't raised any money, I'm not a success. Yeah. You proved previously you didn't raise any money and you were a success. But weirdly, you're now in this position where your core skill set is raising money for people and yep. giving people money. But it's a weird uh, it's a weird dichotomy for you, isn't it? Because, well, you tell me, like, what is your view on, on that glamorization that people have at the moment? Because whenever you meet a startup, they always say, you get this, they say, oh, we're funded. Yeah. You're like... Well, every business should be funded, yeah. but ideally by its customers, right? <laughs> and and for what, right? Like, I think this is always the the, the question that I ask companies. It's like, oh, you're you're going to raise capital? Great. Like, what, what's that? What's it for? You know, I think or, or why? Why why are you doing it? Yeah. You know, I think you know we were again lucky that I had savings. Lucky that I had some people lined up who were potentially going to be clients, so that we yeah. could go into the business and it was a bit de-risked. Um, you know, but I think the the reality is with with a lot of people, it's like, well, if you're going to go out and raise capital, there's a couple of things like that comes with a cost, right? It's easier in the earlier stages because you're getting angels in, or you're getting pre-seed funds in, or you're getting people in who have maybe different um, criteria in terms of the the outcome of of that investment. Um, but certainly, as you get into kind of bigger seed round, Series A, Series B, et cetera, et cetera, like y you are getting on a treadmill from which there is, you know one of two exits, one of which is that you zoom off the treadmill and go kind of supersonic and make piles of money via an, an IPO. The other one is the treadmill gets too fast and you fall on your face and you're dead, right? Um, and that's the challenge is that I see a lot of companies at the moment going, I'm kind of raising money because I have to, 
uh, or because I feel I should, rather than I'm raising money because I have to, because raising this amount of capital will allow me to bring in two people to do X and three people to do Y, and that will allow us to turn our product from something that this number of people like to something that this number of people will like. And where I see that logical progression, I think it's great. Where it's like I'm raising $10 million just because I can, that makes me a little bit nervous because, you know, it's, and I've seen this happen with, with so many companies where it's great to have a massive bank balance but again, the people who are giving you that money are going to come to your board meeting after, you know, probably the second or third board meeting after they give you the money going. Why are you not spending that fast enough? You know, and if you're not growing fast enough, one of the challenges you have is depending on the size of the, the fund, you may be one of you may be one of one bet, you know, one bet that that partner makes in, in a year. You might be one of four. You might be one of five. And if you stop being the shiny object that's growing, then, you know, the kind of eye of Sauron goes in a, a, different, a different direction, direction yeah. right? And, and all of a sudden then you can kind of be left in a situation where, you know, your board meetings are a lot less fun and a lot more fractious and where people start kind of going, you know what, is this the right leadership for the organization? You know what, maybe what we should do is talk to the corp dev people at this fund and or, or at this firm. And actually what that company needs is just some breathing room. Maybe they're just not ready to scale yet. Maybe they're just not ready to, you know, get to 10 million in revenue. Maybe they're ready to be a sustainable business for a couple of years and get to a point where then they can hit their hockey stick or whatever. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, this is one of the challenges is, you know, and I think Paul Graham uh, from, from Y Combinator had a tweet about it a while ago. He was like, you know, if I were starting a company today, I would say, do, you know, do a, an accelerator program. He said YC. Obviously, I would say do Techstars. Um, go and raise like half a million quid. I would say probably somewhere between half a million and a million quid. And then lock yourself in a room and build a product that people really want and build something that's scalable and, and, uh, and sustainable. And at a certain point, then the VCs start knocking on your door and you can define the terms of your relationship with them a lot more. Yeah. Right? And that's very easy to say, like, oh, blase, build a company people want and, and start selling stuff. But that's the reality. Like, you know, otherwise... And also, like, in fairness, I mean, you know, if you're not building a product that your customers want, then what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the sub when you've been there. Yeah. I think the risk, you know, and I'm resonating some of you, some things you say there because... You've got enough pressure when you start a company. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. You know, we've both been there, and it is fucking hard. Yeah, it's emotional. You, you have to pay your own taxes. Yes. Like, this, was the bit, <laughs> yeah. this was the really shit. You have to do your own books. Turns out taxes and accountancy, massive pain in the arse. <laughs> I like all of these things. You and who to, knows how to do it? Yeah. No, exactly. and, uh, you know, is there, is there, there are at least a little few more books now, but it's still a bit of a black box. For, like, all of the, oh, you have to hire someone. How do you fire someone for the first time? I know. I didn't, I, I didn't know how to fire someone for the first time until I fired someone for the first time. And it's a really shit experience. And right? Yeah. And so I, all well, of I these think, things. I, I say so, so. I think that one of the best, the, the, the core skill set of a founder, well, there is, you have to be crazy resilient. You have to be blindly optimistic. Yeah. And you have to be the most awesome judge of talent. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, that firing people is a tough gig and you yeah. don't want to have to do it. But I think you like, it's it's one of those things where if you bring on a big investor like a VC and their motivation isn't aligned with yours, you've mm. got, you've basically got a shitty customer. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not like, because you're no longer doing stuff to service your customers, which has got to be your core focus. It's yep. got to be, you've got to be outside in. That's where your focus is going to be. But all of a sudden, you've got this other person here who's like, well, no, I want you to go quick. And you're like, well, I, I don't know if that's going to work for my customers. I'm yeah. going to start diluting value. I'm going to start. Um, I don't know if the, I guess this is a question for you because you've done it and you see so many. Like, why would you start a business anyway? Like, what are the good reasons to do it? I think if you've got, you know, I think if you've got a real 
passion for something. Like, I tell you what, I love meeting people who go, I worked in industry. I was a lawyer for 20 years and I had to do this thing every day. And it drove me nuts. And one day I talked to a mate of mine who I went to college with and we decided to start a business and solve for this problem. And I know lots of lawyers and, and I can start selling it straight away. Like where you've seen, where there's an itch that you can scratch with your business, amazing. Yeah. Where you can go, you know, we're building a computer vision company that is going to allow us to analyze all of these different things. And we're starting it because actually, you know, myself and my three co-founders did our PhDs together at Cambridge. We understood this was a huge market. And then our CEO came along and said, hey, you know, I have been in this industry for years and I can help you commercialize it. Like, you know, where there is a real founder market fit, where there is a real passion where you wake up in the morning and something really annoys you to the extent that you're like, oh my God, I need to do something about it. And for me, this was like, why are we not doing more stuff on mobile? Why are we not doing more stuff on the internet? Why are people not paying attention yeah. to what I felt was going to be the default medium of, of communication in the future? And I think lots and lots of people wake up with that every day. And it's looking at those types of businesses and going, all right, now do I have that resilience? Do I have the, you know, the, the ability to get the, the ball rolling? Do I have all of these kind of other things I need to actually get something going? Is this going to be, and then I think you've got to ask, like what sort of business is this going to be, right? Do I, is this the type of business where I want to grow it to 10,000 people and raise you know capital from, from lots of different people? If so, fine, there are paths and trajectories that you can go on. Is it a business where you want to go, no, you know what, actually I want to retain you know, 70, 80, 90% control over the business. I want to be in control, you know, ma you know master, mistress of my own yeah. uh, destiny. Uh, and I want to kind of be able to move things the way that I want. And maybe I'd just do an SEIS or an EIS round, or I bring some, you know, small investment in to get the the ball rolling. But my focus is very much on on, on growing through, through revenue. Or, you know, and there's a whole bunch of others. Like I see an increasing number of people kind of going, all right, can I start a, you know, a side hustle? Like, is there something I can do on the side where, you know, evenings and weekends, I can scratch that itch by going, I'm going to, you know, have a store on Etsy or I'm, I'm going to do, you know, uh, the the best pop-up uh, Philly cheesesteak place in London because oh that's God. what I'm passionate about. Well, if someone's not doing that, do it. There is a vegan yeah, uh, Philly cheesesteak place that actually opened around the corner for me. That I really, That's why it's stuck in my head. Where not that it? I'm a where, vegan. Where is it? It's on Holloway Road called uh, Jake's Vegan uh, Steakhouse, I think. Jake's Vegan Steakhouse. Uh, Jake's Vegan something or other on Holloway Road. Uh, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. And I'm not a vegan. I'm just curious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm curious by a vegan cheesesteak. I'm, not, I'm not, not a vegan. I'm a vegan, but I didn't inhale. Or what, I don't know how, what the, <laughs> the appropriate phrase for that is. But um, So I think there's there's lots of there's lots of options for people starting companies nowadays, right? Like, I think there are a bunch of different ways so you can do it, of which I would suggest the VC route into which I'll bundle myself at times as well. Although I do think that, you know, accelerators and angel investors have slightly different um, and, and probably pre-seed and seed investors have maybe slightly different incentives sometimes than some of the kind of later kind of growth stage um, yeah. investors and, and different outcomes matter. Like if you raise a series A or series B, you know, you're going to be one of those companies that needs to return a billion dollars to help the fund invest it, you know, make a huge return. If you're an angel investor and you put 50 grand into a company and that company gives you back a hundred grand in, in five years, or 10 years, it's going to be an awful lot better than putting it into the bank. So actually, that's yeah. a really good return. And so people's return profiles vary based on, on the stage that are at. And I would say actually that, you know, let's call it, you know, angel, accelerator, early stage investor route, plus the VC route, is probably the one that maybe 10% of companies on earth could and, and, and should go down. The vast majority of the others, you grow it through 
through revenue. You grow it through, you know, you talk to the the bank, you talk to, you know, a whole bunch of other people to to get the ball rolling on it. And and maybe you'd never need to to raise capital. Mm. You know, now you obviously there's been an explosion in crowdfunding. There's lots of different ways that people can get money into businesses, whether it be Kickstarter, Cedars, any of those other places where in some cases it's dilutive, in some cases it's non-dilutive. So there's lots of different ways that people can start companies. And I would just caution anyone who's you know, watching or listening to this and thinking about starting a company, like which of those outcomes do you want? You know, because if 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 you want to be, you know, on on that VC roller coaster, it is it is so exciting. It is incredibly good fun. It is amazing to be a part of it. And that trajectory and that energy and that velocity is, you know, it's 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 like a drug, right? It's it's, it's addictive, it but it only works a handful of the time. When you're on that roller coaster and uh, and it's not working, it's like being on a roller coaster with no seatbelt and you're kind of hanging on for dear life in the safe knowledge that you're almost certainly going to get thrown off at some point. And that is not an outcome that I would want for a, a lot of business owners. Like having been the owner of a, I suppose what some people would call a startup, but I still in my head kind of think about it as almost like a small business um, or SME or whatever. Uh that you know th- that roller coaster outcome for a lot of people is is not what they should want nor what they really need um and i think you're right you know there there is this bunch of documentaries and websites and all of these different places you go and you look at and and see and think yes raising you know it's almost like oh raising 10 million quid is is going to you know solve all the problems that i have it's like you know i mean maybe smalls it's like more money more problems right yeah. you know so i think that's the that's the challenge that you know, the irony is kind of money comes with a cost and that is, and sometimes that's the people that you end up working with, right? We've also seen plenty of instances where, you know, investors, be the angels or, or others have been a, you know, toxic addition to, to a company. And if you're going to take a, a, you know, an investor on board, you know, it's a bit, you're going to be stuck with them for five or 10 years. You're going to have to talk to them all. That, you're talk to them a lot. Like, you know, it's crazy. And I always think um, the best analogy I heard of this is like, um, would you ask a woman to marry you? after going on four dates. Yeah. You no, know, but you are expected bonkers. to ask a VC to be in a relationship with you for five years yeah. after seeing them four times. Yeah. You know, it's just nuts. Um, that's really, uh, that's really insightful. And I'm, I'm, a lot of that has resonated and I can definitely appreciate it. I think a lot of people can as well. So look, coming to the end, two things I'd love to hear from you. Um, one is... To the, to the person who right now is sat in their their day job or not in their day job, they're at uni or whatever, but they've just had that moment that wouldn't it be cool if, yeah, wouldn't it be better if, what is the first thing they should do? What's the first thing they should do before they get on that road? Don't be afraid to talk to people about it. I love that. So I think the biggest mistake that people make is they go, you know, you have that, oh, the light bulb has gone off over my head. Wouldn't it be cool if x and then the next thought you have is i better not tell anyone that ever because they'll steal the idea right that my friends is the path to ruin i think the reality is and you you said it earlier for almost every you know ideas are like assholes right everyone has one and um there are already a bunch of people working you know we've seen so many companies come to us and go we've got this really unique idea for a b and c it's like i'm really sorry but like you're the third person working on this i've met today and and i see more of it now because of the 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 role that i have so i think the biggest thing is like if you have a great idea talk to people right and that might be people who could be potential co-founders it could be people who could be 
potential advisors. It it should ideally be people who could be potential customers, right? Because I think it's great to have an idea. It's even better to have an idea that people want. And the only way to figure out if people want it is to go and actually ask them if they if they want it. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 don't be afraid to try and do as much of it as as you can yourself. Like if you're looking for co-founders, you know, if you have an idea and you're not a technical person, you're going, oh, it's really hard to find a CTO. Like go to a startup weekend, right? Techstars run startup weekends. Thousands of them happen pretty much every year around the world in 160 something countries. You can meet a bunch of people who self-identify as entrepreneurs who are designing developers, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, go to that. Can't get to a startup weekend? Loads and loads of places where you can go to build mock-ups of, you know, I mean, Envision, Marvel app, you know, Pop, all of these kind of things where you can build just a mock-up of what you're up to and use that to show it to potential customers. Like, just take some initiative and, and, and start doing things and really, really crucially get out there and, and let people know what you're up to and what you want to do and bring people on the journey with that. you. I love that. Um and I absolutely agree. I think you're absolutely right. And then lastly, what do people waste time on that just pisses you off? They turn up and you're like, look, why are you spending time on this? <laughs> financial projections. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, oh, look, yeah. I think there's there's a whole bunch of things. I mean, financial projections obviously are very important to do. I'm, I'm much more interested in actually how people think about how they're going to spend money because that's a bit they can control. You know, for a pre-seed company trying to tell me what they're going to, you know, what revenue they're going to do in five years' time, you know, you might as well read me the plot of Harry Potter and tell me that it's a documentary, right? Like, I think, there, you know, you've got you to focus on things that will actually move the needle for you. And so I think in the early stages of building a company, if you are not talking to customers, if you are not building the product, if you are not spending time working out how to explain what it is that you're building, which goes back to talking to customers, or eating, sleeping, or exercising, you're kind of doing something that that is not necessarily moving the needle. Yeah. As the company gets bigger, of course, then you have to get into maybe it's it's fundraising, maybe it's hiring, maybe it's everything else. But in the early stages of, of a company, what you should be doing is going, do people want this? Which means I've got to go and talk to a bunch of people. What is it that people are going to want? Which means focusing you know, on, on the actual product. How do I explain this to the people who, who might want it? And if you're not doing some of those things, then in many cases, you're not making a material difference to your business. Of course, you know, you have to do a slide deck, you know, 10 slides or whatever. That's not very complicated. There are a thousand templates out there that can show you how to do that. And that's, you know, that'll take a half day or, or a day, right? Um, you know, you can build a, you know, a hundred page business plan if you want. No one's ever going to read it, right? And, and people at a pre-seed or seed stage, if anyone who is not a bank manager asks you for a business plan, just ask them why. Like, what are they going to do with it? You know, what... 15, yeah, I'm, I'm going to grow by 20% every month forever. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just, just like, it's, it's nonsense. You, you know, people people make this make this stuff up. I think, you know, over time, you, you, you start to understand your customer acquisition costs. You start to understand your lifetime, but you start to understand all of these things. But that is a function of having customers who want your product and a product that customers want, right? And so if you're not doing any of those two things to get to that point, then you can have the most beautiful deck and the best projections in the world and no one will give a shit. I agree. Fantastic. So look, thank you so much for coming. That was a very happy note. No, 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 but actually, but really, really important. And look, I think to, this to summarise like this session, I think you've you've really honed into some of those really important um, challenges that people face, and you articulate it so beautifully. And I'm 
so glad that you're in this community and you're so outspoken about your opinions because they're great. So thank you. Please keep that up. Um, and look, it's been great having you on. Thank you very much. Cheers. It's been a pleasure.